Welcome to the Weekly Insight Podcast, where we break down the noise of the week and help you understand the psychology of the markets with your host, Andrew Dore at Insight Wealth Group. Good morning. Welcome to the latest edition of the Weekly Insight Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Andrew Dore. Appreciate you joining us today. Before we get started, going to do what we do every week, which is just remind you that what you're about to hear today is strictly our opinion. It should not be construed as individual investment advice. This is our opinion on what is going on in the world, what is going on with the stock market, what is going on with the economy. We hope you find it interesting. We hope you find it educational. But if you have anything specific to your portfolio you'd like to discuss, we'd encourage you to give us a call at the office or talk directly with your personal financial advisor. With that out of the way, let's dig into this week. Because last week on this podcast, I was a little grumpy. I was complaining about our leaders in Washington, and the week before that, I was a little grumpy. I was complaining about the quote-unquote financial gurus who were calling the end of the world. And I promised you in last week's episode that this week was going to be a little bit more positive. We were going to spend a little bit more time talking about some good things in the world. And we're going to do that today. Because, man, it sure seems like over and over and over and over again, for the last, well, at least for the last three months, the issues have been inflation, interest rates, COVID, and Ukraine. And then it's been inflation, interest rates, COVID, and Ukraine over and over and over again. And we just can't seem to break out of that loop. And frankly, we've been talking about those issues a lot here on this podcast. We've been talking about them a lot in our weekly insight memo. Why? Because those are the issues that are driving sentiment in the market. Those are the issues that people are talking about. While these have been beaten into our heads over and over again, they're big, scary stories. They're the things people are talking about. They're important stories. They're they're landscape-shifting stories. But I would also point out they're not everything. One of the things I've been struggling with in this podcast, and we as a firm have been struggling with over the last few months, is that while we feel that it is very important to understand, to study and discuss these items and make sure that you are hearing from us our opinions on them, We haven't always shared the oftentimes prevailing pessimistic view of things. We've tried to work our worldview into these discussions of these topics, but the topics themselves have truly become the story. A couple of weeks ago when I was talking about the financial gurus, the people who plant their flag in the ground, definitively declaring what's going to happen in the stock market or the economy, I don't have that level of ego. The firm doesn't have that level of ego. Frankly, I think anyone reading this knows that there is nothing we can do to foretell the future. In that regard, we've never been bulls or bears. Instead, we feel like it's our job to work with the information that we have and move towards daylight in whatever environment we find ourselves in. But today, today we're looking at this environment a lot more optimistically than most people, or at least a lot more optimistically than you are hearing about in the news. So today... I'm going to tell you why. You can take it, you can leave it, you can believe it, you can disbelieve it. That's going to be up for you to decide. But I'm going to give you the reasons why we as a firm are actually feeling pretty positive about things today. So first, valuations. You know, the S&P ended the week. It was a holiday-shortened week. It ended the week trading with a Ford PE of 19.44 times earnings. We've beaten the P.E. question to death in this podcast over the last several months, but we'll just say it again. That is only slightly above the 10-year average, which is around 18 and a half times earnings. More importantly, though, and, and you're going to hear me say this a lot in this podcast, 
go to the weekly insight memo for the charts because we are going to provide a lot of data in here and I would encourage you to go and look at this data so you can see it. But more importantly, the valuation that that PE ratio has dropped dramatically throughout this year. We give a, a good chart showing how much the PE ratio forward estimate for the S&P has dropped in the last 12 months and it's stunning. When you throw into the mix that, as we talked about last week, the market is essentially saying right now they're anticipating about 9% earnings growth for fiscal year 2020. We don't really know what the picture's like yet for Q1. We'll know a lot more of that in the next few weeks, and I'm sure we'll be talking about it on this podcast. But if you use that 9% annual number and you say that the market just remains flat, that means the S&P is going to be trading closer to a 17 times P.E., It hasn't traded in that range for a long, long time. And given the fact that there's very few other places to go and get a return on assets, there's just very little justification for that level of PE. I think that's an optimistic sign. Number two, inflation. We're all sick of it. I get it. I'm as sick of talking about it as you are sick of hearing about it. But I want to make one thing clear this week and be as definitive as I possibly can be because I think we've worked around the edges of this topic a little bit in the last few weeks. It is our opinion that the rise in inflation is going to come to a natural end. Notice that statement. A natural end, not an end caused by the Fed. And we think it's going to happen much sooner than the pundits on TV are telling you. Last couple of weeks, I've made several cases for leading indicators of inflation that are starting to look better. But before we can understand why those numbers are important, first we have to understand what has made up the inflation that we've seen. Because I think there's a little bit of a discrepancy between what has actually driven the inflation and what people think is happening. First of all, used car and new car sales. 49% of the inflation that we've seen in the last 12 months has come from the growth in price of new and used car sales. 49%. I've harped about car sales for a while. Here's what I would just say. When people get to a price they're not willing to pay for them anymore, they're going to stop paying that price, right? And we are starting to see new and used car prices decline. 16% of that growth has come from the cost of shelter, rent, and home ownership. 11% has come come from a drive in, in the cost of household furnishings. So that is right there. What is 49 plus 11 is 60 plus 16, about 66% of the inflation that we've seen in the last year has come from cars, houses, and furnishings. Three things. That's, that's substantial. And as I said, we're starting to see a shift. I mentioned before, use, used car wholesale prices have dropped for consecutive months for the first time in over a year. Consumer orders of durable goods, we went through this chart a couple weeks ago, but they have collapsed really since call it middle of Q4, 2021. The rise in mortgage rates, I I read a great article this week about the Boise home uh, market. Boise, Idaho has been one of the hottest markets for home sales since the work from home boom and everybody moving to the Mountain West. And what we saw last month was that Boise new home purchases or new home prices basically flatlined for the first time in two years. So already the rise in mortgage rates is starting to have an impact and we would think that maybe Boise might be a sign of what's going to come elsewhere in the country. All of those things are leading indicators. That goes along with the cash freight index we've talked about. There's a number of issues, but we are starting to see some movement in these natural indicators. 
So what has that meant for actual inflation, for the inflation that's being reported back to investors? And we mentioned last week that the CPI numbers were coming out this week and that how those numbers looked would have an impact on what the market did. We got the numbers. The top line number wasn't great. CPI rose 1.2% from February to March, but the core CPI number, so that is the CPI number minus food and energy, core CPI rose just 0.3%. Why is core CPI important? Yes, food and energy prices are impacting individuals. No question about that. But core CPI is the number the Fed uses when they're calculating what inflation is. So the expectation for core CPI last month was 0.5% growth. It grew at 0.3. In February, it grew at 0.5. So what we are seeing is that the speed of inflation is declining on core CPI, and it's almost to net zero. We would anticipate that next month, our energy price number is going to come down dramatically because now that we're a couple months into this Ukrainian war and the Russian oil and gas stuff, we've seen oil prices drop. Oil prices were trading in the mid-120s, now they're trading in the mid-90s again. So we should start to see that energy price begin to come back in line a little bit as well. And by the way, food inflation last month was about 1%, energy was about 10 So energy was by far the leading cause of inflation last month. So then that leads me to another question we get a lot. And it is a question about inflation just kind of as a core thing. And people are asking, hey, Andrew, is this a return to the 1970s? I cannot say this loud enough. No. Yes, inflation at these levels is significant. No question about it. So significant, in fact, that we haven't seen it in over 40 years. But the driver that we saw in the 1970s isn't there today. What is that driver? The devaluation of the dollar. People forget that, right? We, when we think about stagflation and inflation from the 70s, people don't always tie that back to the why. And the why was, more than anything else, that Nixon took us off the gold standard and the dollar fell 70% in value over the next 10 years. 70%. That's a big deal. We include a chart in this week's memo that shows from when that began in the 1970s until today, it shows the correlation between the dollar and inflation. And what you see is that a strengthening dollar corresponds with, with falling inflation and vice versa. So where are we at today? I would say we're at worst a stable dollar and at best a slightly strengthening dollar over the last few months. That's a good sign. That's a good sign. So issue three. Issue three, the consumer. The consumer is healthy right now. Part of the cause of inflation is the massive amount of spending that has happened since the start of the pandemic. And I've gone through this with you many times. Why has there been so much spending? Free government money, right? I mean, it's our money originally, but they gave it back to us. They gave it back to us in quantities that we have never seen before. The government spent more money during COVID, curing COVID, but also putting money back in the pockets of of taxpayers. They did more of it in 2020 than they did in 2008 coming out of the, the great financial crisis. Frankly, more than they did in World War II. And so the amount of money that has been spent by the government, the amount of money that has been put back in consumers' hands has been substantial. But even with all of that money and even with all of the spending that consumers have done with that money, consumers continue continue to remain in great shape. They have more cash and bank accounts today than we've seen in decades. There's about $4 trillion sitting in what's called checkable deposits and currencies held by, held by individuals in the United States. Pre-COVID, for 40 years before that, that number was almost always right around $1 trillion 
inflation adjusted. It actually fell in in 2019-ish to call it 800 billion, but then it started to rise again before the pandemic started. But when the government threw all of that money out into our hands, boom, the number shot through the roof. It's it's been rising. Frankly, it was rising still at the end of, of 2021. Significant amount of cash in people's hands. At the same time that we have more cash in people's pockets than we've ever seen, debt payments as a percent of household income are not exactly at the lowest level we've seen in 40 years. That happened about two months ago, but they're at one of the lowest levels we've seen in the last 40 years, and it's substantial. Pre-pandemic, Americans had about 10% of their income was going to service debt. Today, that number's below nine. Back before 2008, that number was north of 13% was going to debt service. So people are spending less and less and less on debt service at the same time that they have more and more cash in their bank account. Consumers cleaned up their balance sheet during COVID. Simply put, yeah, it came with an assist from the government. It came at the expense of the federal government's balance sheet. But that means something as we're dealing with this inflation and as we're marching forward. If consumers have the cash to pay for the higher prices, we are going to be much better able to withstand this surge. And right now, they have loads of cash. Number four, the last one, sentiment. Come back to a lot of common themes in these conversations. Why? Because they've worked frequently. And, and one of them is a line from hockey great Wayne Gretzky. And I'm going to paraphrase here his line, you know, you have to skate to where the puck is going, not where it's been. And consumer, excuse me, investor sentiment, but I would say both, consumer and investor sentiment. They're both often backward-looking indicators. They're looking at where the puck has been, not where the puck is going. And I would say that's as true for professional money managers as it is for everyday investors. And today, sentiment is at one of the lowest points in the last decade. As a matter of fact, the way we measure this is, is you look at the percent of people who are saying that they're bulls minus the percent of people who are saying that they're bears. And that number today is at minus 29.8 when they're surveyed. That number is actually worse than it was post-initial COVID blast. At the end of that 35% correction in the stock market, that was at 29. Today, we're at 29.8. When the market corrected 20%, in late 2018, at the end of that correction, that number was minus 28. At the end of 2000 and, uh, the 2008-2009 correction, March 5th, 2009, that number was minus 51. So much worse than it is today. But 29.8 is one of the worst readings we've seen in the last decade. So what does that mean? What happens in the market after we've seen these levels of pessimism? Turns out you can measure it. You can look. And historically, we've seen outsized growth in equities. So let's be clear of what I'm saying. It is the times at which the market participants are the most pessimistic that you want to be a buyer. It's the old line. It's the old Buffett line. We've said it a thousand times here. We want to be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. Why? Let's do a little data look. Because any time that that number has been below minus 22. Remember, we're at minus 29.8. Anytime that number's been below minus 22, it has performed all other market segments in the one-month number, the two-month number, the three-month number, the six-month number, all the way out to one year. As a matter of fact, at one year from the time you get a reading of minus 22 or below, the average S&P return 
for the next year is 16.7%. The average S&P return over one year period for any other time is plus 12%. So what I'm saying here is there's a 4.6% difference in performance. That's actually a 38% outperformance from what the market normally does versus what we see in a time when we have a number of minus 22 or worse. And today we're at almost minus 30. That tells us it's a pretty good time to be optimistic. So are we bulls? Are we telling you to go all in in the market? You know, as I said at the beginning of this, no one can see the future. We all learned that lesson the hard way in March of 2020. But the world and the market has priced a lot of downside into this market. Seven interest rate hikes, skyrocketing inflation, the worst ground war in Europe since World War II, a pandemic. All of those things and more have created an environment where today the market is off, the S&P is off 8%, the NASDAQ is down 16 all at a time when consumers are flush, Markets are fairly valued, inflation is stabilizing, and sentiment is bad. We love those odds. You're going to have to make your own judgment call, but it is a time when we would say we're more optimistic than what the average guy on CNBC is today. So with that, we'll leave it there for this week. Again, I thank you so much for spending a few minutes with me. As always, if you'd like more information, all of the data that I've provided here today All of it is in our weekly Insight Memo. I'd encourage you to go take a look. You can see it at www.insightwealthgroup.com or you can always give us a call to discuss this at 515-273-1333. I hope you have a great week and I look forward to touching base with you again soon. Take care. Securities offered through RTA Wealth Management, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC, NFA. Investment advisory services offered through RTA Wealth Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment firm.